Chapter Eight of the Power House by John Buchan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Eight, The Power House. I left Belgrave Square about a quarter to eight and retraced my steps along the route which, for me that afternoon, had been so full of tremors. I was still being watched. A little observation told me that but I would not be interfered with, provided my way lay in a certain direction. So completely without nervousness was I, that at the top of Constitution Hill I struck into the green park, and kept to the grass till I emerged into Piccadilly, opposite Devonshire House. A light wind had risen, and the evening had grown pleasantly cool. I met several men I knew going out to dinner on foot, and stopped to exchange greetings. From my clothes they thought I had just returned from a day in the country. I reached the Albany as the clock was striking eight. Lumley's rooms were on the first floor, and I was evidently expected, for the porter himself conducted me to them and waited by me till the door was opened by a manservant. You know those Rococo late Georgian Albany rooms, large, square, clumsily corniced? Lumley's was lined with books which I saw at a glance were of a different type from those in his working library at his country house. This was the collection of a bibliophile, and in the light of the summer evening the rows of tall volumes in vellum and morocco lined the walls like some rich tapestry. The valet retired and shut the door, and presently from a little inner chamber came his master. He was dressed for dinner and wore more than ever the air of the eminent diplomat, again i had the old feeling of incredulity it was the lumley i had met two nights before at dinner the friend of viceroys and cabinet ministers it was hard to connect him with antioch street or the red-haired footman with a pistol or with tuke yes i decided tuke fitted into the frame both were brains cut loose from the decencies that make life possible good evening mr lythen he said pleasantly as you have fixed the hour of eight may i offer you dinner thank you i replied but i have already dined i have chosen an awkward time but my business need not take long so he said i am always glad to see you at any hour and i prefer to see the master rather than the subordinates who have been infesting my life during the past week we both laughed i am afraid you have had some annoyance mr lythen he said but remember i gave you fair warning true and i have come to do the same kindness to you that part of the game at any rate is over over he queried raising his eyebrows yes over i said and took out my watch let us be quite frank with each other mr lumley there is really very little time to waste as you have doubtless read the paper which you stole from my friend this morning you know more or less the extent of my information let us have frankness by all means yes i have read your paper a very creditable piece of work if i may say so you will rise in your profession mr lythen but surely you must realize that it carries you a very little way in a sense you are right i am not in a position to reveal the full extent of your misdeeds of the power-house and its doings i can only guess but pitt heron is on his way home and he will be carefully safeguarded on that journey your creature saranoff has confessed we shall know more very soon and meantime i have clear evidence which implicates you in a conspiracy to murder he did not answer but i wished i could see behind his tinted spectacles to the look in his eyes 
i think he had not been quite prepared for the line i took i need not tell you as a lawyer mr lythen he said at last that what seems good evidence on paper is often feeble enough in court you cannot suppose that i will tamely plead guilty to your charges on the contrary i will fight them with all the force that brains and money can give you are an ingenious young man but you are not the brightest jewel of the english bar that also is true i do not deny that some of my evidence may be weakened at the trial it is even conceivable that you may be acquitted on some technical doubt but you have forgotten one thing from the day you leave the court you will be a suspected man the police of all europe will be on your trail you have been highly successful in the past and why because you have been above suspicion an honourable and distinguished gentleman belonging to the best clubs counting as your acquaintances the flower of our society now you will be a suspect a man with a past a centre of strange stories i put it to you how far are you likely to succeed under these conditions he laughed you have a talent for character drawing my friend what makes you think that i can work only if i live in the limelight of popularity the talent you mentioned i said as i read your character and i think i am right you are an artist in crime you are not the common cutthroat who acts out of passion or greed no i think you are something subtler than that you love power hidden power you flatter your vanity by despising mankind and making them your tools you scorn the smattering of inaccuracies which passes for human knowledge and i will not venture to say you are wrong therefore you use your brains to frustrate it unhappily the life of millions is built on that smattering so you are a foe to society but there would be no flavour in controlling subterranean things if you were yourself a mole working in the dark to get the full flavour the irony of it all you must live in the light i can imagine you laughing in your soul as you move about our world praising it with your lips patting it with your hands and kicking its props away with your feet i can see the charm of it but it is over now over he asked over i repeated the end has come the utter final and absolute end he made a sudden odd nervous movement pushing his glasses close back upon his eyes what about yourself he said hoarsely do you think you can play against me without suffering desperate penalties he was holding a cord in his hand with a knob on the end of it he now touched a button in the knob and there came the faint sound of a bell the door was behind me and he was looking beyond me towards it i was entirely at his mercy but i never budged an inch i do not know how i managed to keep calm but i did it and without much effort i went on speaking conscious that the door had opened and that someone was at my back it is really quite useless trying to frighten me i am safe because i am dealing with an intelligent man and not with the ordinary half-witted criminal you do not want my life in silly revenge if you call in your men and strangle me between you what earthly good would it do you he was looking beyond me and the passion a sudden white-hot passion like an epilepsy was dying out of his face a mistake james he said you can go the door closed softly at my back yes a mistake i have a considerable admiration for you mr lumley and should be sorry to be disappointed he laughed quite like an ordinary mortal i am glad this affair is to be conducted on a basis of mutual respect now that the melodramatic overture is finished let us get to the business 
by all means i said i promise to deal with you frankly well let me put my last cards on the table at half-past nine precisely the duplicate of that statement of mine which you annexed this morning will be handed to scotland yard i may add that the authorities there know me and are proceeding under my advice when they read that statement they will act on it you have therefore about one and a half or say one and three-quarter hours to make up your mind you can still secure your freedom but it must be elsewhere than in england he had risen to his feet and was pacing up and down the room will you oblige me by telling me one thing he said if you believe me to be as you say a dangerous criminal how do you reconcile it with your conscience to give me a chance of escape it is your duty to bring me to justice i will tell you why i said i too have a weak joint in my armour yours is that you only succeed under the disguise of high respectability that disguise in any case will be stripped from you mine is pitt heron i do not know how far he has entangled himself with you but i know something of his weakness and i don't want his career ruined and his wife's heart broken he has learned his lesson and will never mention you and your schemes to a mortal soul indeed if i can help it he will never know that any one shares his secret the price of the chance of escape i offer you is that pitt heron's past be buried forever he did not answer he had his arms folded walking up and down the room and suddenly seemed to have aged enormously i had the impression that i was dealing with a very old man mr lythen he said at last you are bold you have a frankness which almost amounts to genius you are wasted in your stupid profession but your speculative powers are not equal to your other endowments so you will probably remain in it deterred by an illogical scruple from following your true bent your true metier believe me is what shallow people call crime speaking without prejudice as the idiot solicitors say it would appear that we have both weak spots in our cases mine you say is that i can only work by using the conventions of what we agreed to call the machine there may be truth in that yours is that you have a friend who lacks your ironclad discretion you offer a plan which saves both our weaknesses by the way what is it i looked at my watch again you have ample time to catch the night express to paris and if not then i am afraid there may be trouble with the police between ten and eleven o'clock which for all our sakes would be a pity do you know you interest me uncommonly for you confirm the accuracy of my judgment i have always had a notion that some day i should run across to my sorrow just such a man as you a man of very great intellectual power i can deal with for that kind of brain is usually combined with a sort of high-strung imagination on which i can work the same with your over-imaginative man yes pitt heron was of that type ordinary brains do not trouble me for i puzzle them now you are a man of good average intelligence pray forgive the lukewarmness of the phrase it is really a high compliment for i am an austere critic if you were that and no more you would not have succeeded but you possess also a quite irrelevant gift of imagination not enough to upset your balance but enough to do what your mere lawyer's talent could never have done you have achieved a feat which is given to few you have partially understood me believe me i rate you high you are the kind of four-square being bedded in the concrete of our civilization on whom i have always felt i might some day come to grief no no i am not trying to wheedle you if i thought i could do that i should be sorry 
for my discernment would have been at fault. I warn you, I said, that you are wasting precious time. He laughed quite cheerfully. I believe you are really anxious about my interests, he said. That is a triumph indeed. Do you know, Mr. Lythen, it is a mere whimsy of fate that you are not my disciple. If we had met earlier and under other circumstances, I should have captured you. It is because you have in you a capacity for discipleship that you have succeeded in your opposition. I abominate you and all your works, I said, but I admire your courage. He shook his head gently. It is the wrong word. I am not courageous. To be brave means that you have conquered fear, but I have never had any fear to conquer. Believe me, Mr. Lythen, I am quite impervious to threats. You come to me tonight and hold a pistol to my head. You offer me two alternatives, both of which mean failure. But how do you know that I regard them as failure? I have had what they call a good run for my money. No man since Napoleon has tasted such power. I may be willing to end it. Age creeps on, and power may grow burdensome. I have always sat loose from common ambitions and common affections. For all you know, I may regard you as a benefactor. All this talk looks futile when it is written down, but it was skilful enough, for it was taking every atom of exhilaration out of my victory. It was not idle brag. Every syllable rang true as I knew in my bones. I felt myself in the presence of something enormously big as if a small barbarian was desecrating the colossal Zeus of Phidias with a coal-hammer. But I also felt it inhuman, and I hated it, and I clung to that hatred. You fear nothing, and you believe nothing, I said. Man, you should never have been allowed to live. He raised a deprecating hand. I am a skeptic about most things, he said, but believe me, I have my own worship. I venerate the intellect of man. I believe in its undreamed-of possibilities, when it grows free like an oak in the forest and is not dwarfed in a flower-pot. From that allegiance I have never wavered. That is the God I have never forsworn. I took out my watch. Permit me again to remind you that time presses. True, he said, smiling. The Continental Express will not wait upon my confession. Your plan is certainly conceivable. There may be other and easier ways. I am not certain. I must think. Perhaps it would be wiser if you left me now, Mr. Lythen. If I take your advice, there will be various things to do. In any case, there will be much to do. He led me to the door, as if he were an ordinary host speeding an ordinary guest. I remember that on my way he pointed out a set of Aldines and called my attention to their beauty. He shook hands quite cordially and remarked on the fineness of the weather. That was the last I saw of this amazing man. It was with profound relief that I found myself in Piccadilly, in the wholesome company of my kind. I had carried myself boldly enough in the last hour, but I would not have gone through it again for a king's ransom. Do you know what it is to deal with a pure intelligence, a brain stripped of every shred of humanity? It is like being in the company of a snake. I drove to the club and telephoned to McGillivray, asking him to take no notice of my statement till he heard from me in the morning. Then I went to the hospital to see Chapman. That leader of the people was in a furious temper, and he was scarcely to be appeased by my narrative of the day's doings. Your labor member is the greatest of all sticklers for legality, and the outrage he had suffered that morning had grievously weakened his trust in public security. The Antioch Street business had seemed to him eminently right, 
if you once got mixed up in melodrama you had to expect such things but for a member of parliament to be robbed in broad daylight next door to the house of commons upset the foundations of his faith there was little the matter with his body and the doctor promised that he would be allowed up next day but his soul was a mass of bruises it took me a lot of persuasion to get him to keep quiet he wanted a public exposure of lumley a big trial a general ferreting out of secret agents the whole winding up with a speech in parliament by himself on this last outrage of capitalism gloomily he listened to my injunctions to silence but he saw the reason of it and promised to hold his tongue out of loyalty to tommy i knew that pitt heron's secret was safe with him as i crossed westminster bridge on my way home the night express to the continent rumbled over the river i wondered if lumley was on board or if he had taken one of the other ways of which he had spoken end of chapter eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine